John chapter 6, verse 27 through 54. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I say unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up, at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he said, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not amongst yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he that hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat men in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof, and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And the Jews therefore strove amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now I'm going to jump to verse 66. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, 
for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we pray thee now, as did our deacon earlier, that you will open up the scriptures unto us that we might see Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. I'll be in this section again next week because as we go through it, we can go deeper and deeper and pull out different scriptural truths. And so I, I prefer to do it that way rather than to go one verse at a time because the Lord um, seems to teach spiritual truths in layers as you go through things. You, you, the, the Bible speaks about rightly dividing the word of truth. So this morning, the main point I'm going to cover is... Uh, Jesus uh, Christ, the resurrection and the life. And so that's the title, Christ, the resurrection and the life. Um, um, so we're going to cover three main points, um, but that will be the primary point that we talk about this morning. First point I'm going to talk about is um, Christ rejection foretold, which I talked about last week, but I'm going to cover that again just briefly. Next, I'm going to cover the resurrection. And then thirdly, I'm going to recover man's responsibility. So... Resurrection foretold, then I'm going to talk about the resurrection, excuse me, rejection foretold, then I'll talk about the resurrection, and then I'll speak about man's responsibility, and in terms of all the information, the truths that are set before us here. So last week we spoke about Christ uh, being God's rejected bread. He was sent from the Father, he was identified as the bread of life, as did God in uh, Exodus, identified that which he would give them to eat as bread and not as manna. And we read that they murmured against God. So you need to hang on to that truth about they murmured back then against God about what um, he was doing with them in terms of bringing them into the wilderness. So God gave them bread from heaven and he told them what it was. However, they called it literally, what is this? If you look at the interlinear, that's exactly um, what it is. It, it is, what is this? Which they have translated as manna. So manna means, what is this? Um, and we read last week that they rejected that. They didn't know what it was, and they rejected it, and it said, quote, they loathed this light uh, bread. Now here in John chapter 6, we see that Jesus tells them that he is the bread from heaven that his Father has sent. In verse 40, 41, we see that they murmured against Jesus, and in verse 42, they say, just like they did in the wilderness, they said, what is this or who is this? They say here in verse 42, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? In other words, they're, they're saying the same thing. Who is this? You know, what, what is this? So just as they rejected the bread God gave them from the first heaven, we see here that they reject the true bread of God, which is Christ, sent from the third heaven. Heaven. So we see this wonderful spiritual parallel in terms of just as they rejected the manna, not knowing what it was, they're going to reject Christ, not knowing who he is. Now, keep this in mind as we move forward, because I'm going to be speaking also in a broader context about um, the things that God does and then human responsibility in terms of what to do with that. But now I want to talk about the resurrection here because the Lord speaks about it. Now, last week we closed out with what I characterize as a sterile doctrine in the context that it was a, um, I was just speaking about the timing of the resurrection of the body, and we noted as we went through and looked at First Thessalonians, and we looked in here, that it's on the last day. The resurrection is on the last day. For those saints who have already died and are said to be asleep in Jesus, their bodies will be raised from the grave on the last day. 
and they will prevent or pre-event or precede those saints which are still alive in their bodies on the last day who will then be caught up or be raptured to meet the Lord in the air when he returns. And we saw a reference to the resurrection of the body here in John chapter 6 in four different verses. Now, what is far more important than the order of events is the who respecting the means and agency of those events. And that is Christ Jesus. Recall that Jesus says in John chapter 5, a section we'd already covered, John chapter 5, verses 24 and 25, Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believe on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. What he's saying is that he that hears the gospel and believes on Jesus has passed from death to life. He is said to be born again, as the Lord says in John chapter 3. Then Jesus goes on to say in verse 25, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead, meaning spiritually dead, people that are dead in trespasses and sin, shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. He that hears the gospel, which in context here is to take it to heart, does so because he hears the Son of God himself and is therefore alive. When you and I witness to somebody, when we preach the gospel to somebody, they have to hear from Christ himself. When they hear from Christ, then the Lord is applying the truths to their heart. If they're just hearing from you and me, they're just hearing words. They have to hear from Christ himself. So these individuals are, are alive not only in body, like everyone else's, but now they will be spiritually alive and therefore eternally alive. So he's talking about preaching the gospel to people that are alive in their bodies, walking around, though they be dead in sins and trespasses. When they hear the gospel, they're then made spiritually alive. Verse 26 of John chapter 5, he says, For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. Now, the next couple of verses down in John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29, the Lord then says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, meaning in the future, meaning on the last day, there's John chapter 5, verse 28, in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. He's talking about people whose bodies are in the graves, and that includes saints and everybody else. He's talking about everybody that's in the grave. Verse 29, And shall come forth they that have done good, that would be believers, unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil, that's everybody else, unto the resurrection of damnation. So there's going to come a day, and it's going to be the last day when the Lord's going to speak. People are going to come out of the graves. Saints will go one way, and the um, everyone else will go someplace else. They're going to be cast into the lake of fire. So he's speaking here about the resurrection of the body, which the Lord tells us here in John chapter 6 is on the last day. But much more significantly, he tells us that he is the one who raises people up. He is the source of life. He is the life indeed. He is the means and the agency through which people are raised up unto eternal life, and he is the means and agency by which people are raised up 
to eternal death. All of those things are within the scope and the authority of who Christ is. He is God manifest in flesh. All power and all judgment has been given to him. Now, Jesus puts this together for us very succinctly in John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. This is in John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. And the context here has to do with the death of Lazarus, Mary and Martha's brother. In John eleven twenty four, 24, um, Martha said unto him, she's speaking to Jesus, I know that he, meaning Lazarus, her brother, shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She didn't have any issues about the timing of things. She knows the resurrection's on the last day. In uh, John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, what follows, it says, we read, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. The resurrection and the life is a person. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, which is to say, someone who hears the gospel and believes in Jesus, though they have since died and their bodies are now in the grave, yet shall he live. They shall yet live in the future in their resurrected, glorified bodies, which we know, as does Martha, that it shall happen on the last day. Now in verse 26 he says, And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die, which is to say, if you are alive now and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not be subject to eternal death, which in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, is referred to as the second death, which means casting somebody into the lake of fire. So here we all are here today. If you've heard the gospel and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the second death has no power over you. You will not be cast into the lake of fire. You have eternal life. If you were a Christian and you lived some time ago and you're in the grave, you'll rise again to, unto eternal life on the last day. You shall live forever. So in verse 25 here, the Lord is speaking of the body. Though dead, shall yet live. In verse 26, the Lord is speaking of the spirit and soul that they shall never perish. Now, in a most remarkable way, the Lord sets these truths before us using the examples of two different men, both named Lazarus. Two different people, both named Lazarus. One is found in the Gospel of Luke, and the other is found in the Gospel of John. That's why we had our deacon read this morning the account of Lazarus in the Gospel of Luke. Again, two different men, but we're going to link their lives together, and the God is going to teach us a spiritual truth about the resurrection. So we're going to put their experiences together as though they were the same man, which we know they're not, but to teach a spiritual truth, the Lord has given them both the same name. One is set for us in Luke, and the other is set before us here in John. Now, to help us to appreciate what's going on here, first I want to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 and 8. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 and 8. <coughs> Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Verse 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 8, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So the Lord sets before us a truth here that we often simply repeat as to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And this we see with respect to the first Lazarus, the one that's set before us in the book of Luke. 
Now, when this Lazarus dies, we see that as one now absent from the body, he is said to be in the bosom of Abraham, which spiritually means he is present with the Lord. Now we consider the second Lazarus set before us here in John chapter 11. There we read that he has been dead and in the grave for four days. As depicted in Luke, we know that as one absent from the body, he is therefore present with the Lord. In verse 43 of John 11, we read, And when he, that would be Jesus, thus had spoken, he, quote, cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Verse 44, And he that was dead came forth. We have set before us here a resurrection of the body exactly as God set it forth doctrinally in the Scriptures. Now recall from last week, we read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Here in John chapter 11, the Lord speaks with a loud voice, like the shout as of the voice of the archangel, and Lazarus, whose body is in the grave, hears his voice and comes forth unto the resurrection of life. That's exactly how the Lord said it would be when we read from John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. I find this quite remarkable that the Lord teaches the truth, and then he lets us see it work itself out in the lives of people. Again, indicating that God is sovereign over everything and that he um, ordains all things for his glory. Now... Having come from the grave, where do we next find Lazarus? Well, we find him in John chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. In John chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, we read, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him, meaning Christ. So where is Lazarus after the resurrection? He's supping, dining with the Lord, sitting at the table with the Lord. And this is the expectation for all of the saints. When your body dies, it goes to the grave while your soul and spirit go to be with the Lord. On the last day, the Lord shall come with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and our body shall come forth from the grave incorruptible, united now with our soul and spirit, and in our incorruptible bodies we shall ever be with the Lord, beginning with the marriage supper of the Lamb as set before us in Revelation 19.9, which is alluded to when we see the raised Lazarus supping with the Lord at the table of the Lord in John chapter 12. And all of this, of course, is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, who alone is the resurrection and the life. So I want us to appreciate this larger picture in Scripture that the Lord has set before us here, using the examples of these two Lazaruses to um, help us appreciate what we would expect to happen in our lives. We die, we go to the grave to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. On the last day, when the Lord speaks with a loud voice, the bodies come from the grave, it's reunited, we go with the Lord, and we're at the wedding feast. It's, it's a wonderful thing to look forward to, but it's set before us here in Scripture, not only doctrinally, but in the lives of these people here. 
Now, what I'm not going to develop this week, but I want to talk about next week, is eternal security because it's laced all through this section here. So we'll get to that, Lord willing, um, next week. There's about five or six verses that speak of eternal security. So that's not something I, we're, I'm, we're not going to overlook that. It's very important for us to appreciate that here. Now, the third point I wanted to make and have us appreciate here is God's work, I'm going to call it a divine work, and the human response. These tensions exist all through Scripture, the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. So I want us to take about three or four steps back from Scripture and look at a big picture that's been set before us here in John chapter 5 and in John chapter 6, the order that the Lord gives us things, and then he's going to talk about it um, doctrinally. Now, you recall in John chapter 5, we read about the occasion where Jesus uh, came to the pool at Bethesda. Bethesda means house of mercy. When he's there, he encounters, quote, a great multitude of impotent folk. A great multitude of impotent folk. And to be sure, it is an act of divine mercy when God comes to any man. And that is because all men are sinners and at enmity with God in our natural state, We are enemies of God, and we are antagonistic towards him. And simply stated, which the Lord's going to teach us here as we move through the Gospel of John, that uh, man hates God. It's that simple. Now, as we learned at that time, by the circumstances set before us and the various infirmities of the, quote, great multitude, which they suffered, that absent the divine intervention of God, that no one there would have been healed from their impotence teaching us the spiritual truth that absent the divine intervention of God, that all men will perish in their sins. Now, in John chapter 6, we see the other side of the coin. We see human response. In John chapter 6, we see that a, quote, great multitude followed him because they saw the miracles which he did on them that were diseased. Now, here is the human response. They saw the miracles that Jesus did, And they then followed him. And that is the proper response. Now I'm speaking in general terms. First the divine work, then the response of man. And that is set before us here in John chapter 6, verses 37 and 40. The Lord gives us that doctrinal truth, that doctrinal tension in the same order here. In John chapter 6, verse 37 through 40, we read, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. We're going to split that verse up, verse 37. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Now in verse 40, and this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on the last day. We're going to split these verses up, and first we'll see the divine side. On the divine side, the first half of verse 37, we read, The Father gives certain people to the Son. That's the divine side. The Father gives certain people to the Son. The first half of verse 39, And of all that the Father gives to the Son, the Son loses nothing. That's the divine side. On the human side, we see in the second part of verse 37, those that come to Christ, he will not cast out. People must come to Christ. In verse 40, uh, we see people that see the Son and believe on him have everlasting life. 
So we can conclude that people must believe on the Lord. So the pattern that we see set forth in John chapter 5 and John chapter 6, in the big picture, we see doctrinally set before us here. And there is no contradiction in Scripture when we teach both. They are both in the Scriptures. If any error is to be found, it would be for one to reside exclusively in one camp over against the other. God has placed both of these truths in Scripture. Men must respond positively to the witness of Christ. And he indicted them against that earlier in, uh, if not John chapter 5, then the latter part of John chapter 6, about they, they did not believe his witness. They don't believe the witness of his works. People will be held accountable for rejecting God's general revelation of himself and the specific revelation here about how when Christ comes to his people. God is not unjust in holding men responsible for what he has taught them, that they would act upon it. In Psalm 19, verses 1 through 3, we read, The heavens declare the glory of the God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter a speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. God has orchestrated the the, uh, creation so that it would glorify himself, and people can know and, and learn certain things about God's characteristics and attributes by what they see. Romans 1, 19 and 20 says that very thing. In Romans 1, 19 and 20, it says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. There are things which may be known of God. It's manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. The characteristics and attributes of God that he has shown every man through his creation, which may be known, would be his eternal power and Godhead, so that man is without excuse. So of a truth, men will be held accountable for rejecting the gospel. To reject the gospel is to reject God's testimony of himself and to make him a liar. We read about that in 1 John chapter 5, verse 10. In 1 John 5, 10, we read, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. When we preach the gospel, we are preaching the record that God gives of his Son. When people read the Bible, they are reading about God's record that he has given of his Son. When people are looking out the window, they are seeing and learning about the characteristics and attributes of God. They are without excuse to reject either the general revelation and in particular for rejecting the specific revelation that we might share with them through the preaching of the gospel. To reject the gospel is to reject Christ. And as we noted earlier with respect to the manna and Christ, national Israel will reject Christ. And for this, they, as is true for all who reject the gospel, they will be held responsible. And the Lord sets that truth before us in John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, the Lord um, says essentially what I'm saying to you. In John chapter 15, verses 22 through 25, we read, If I had not come and spoken unto them, 
they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also, rejecting both. Verse 24, if I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. Recall, he's the visible revelation of the living God. You reject Christ, you reject God. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Now, what's set before us here is specifically the sin of rejecting Christ. Jesus did among them the works that none other man did, works that he attributed to himself. All the previous prophets attributed the works that they did to God. Christ attributed them to himself. And they didn't believe him or the works that he did. They didn't believe what he had to say about himself, nor they did the believe, uh, believe the witness of his works, nor what the Father said about him when he spake from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. They rejected it all in its entirely. And God will hold this into their charge. Now here in John chapter 6, Verses 66 through 71, we see that the rejection begins as many of his disciples leave him. And to be sure, they will all be held accountable for their rejection of him. Um, now, in the context of what we learned about Lazarus this morning, we see all of the above uh, take place. We see the divine work of Christ raising Lazarus from the dead and we see human response to that miracle, to that work that the Lord did. We read in John chapter 11, verse 44, we read, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. So here the people are responding in a positive way to the resurrection of Lazarus and are believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. They are believing the works that he did as the witness and testimony of who he is. Now, this engenders envy in the hearts of the leadership. And so we read in John chapter 12, verse 11, But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. Also meaning in addition to Jesus. So not only would they conspire to kill Jesus, but they would conspire to destroy the work that he had done in terms of resurrecting Lazarus from the dead. Here the human response is one of rejection. They reject Jesus and they reject his works, sins for which they will be held accountable. So as we consider all that has been set before us here this morning, let us not hide behind the doctrine of election, though it is true, as though we humans bear no responsibility in embracing the truths of the Lord. It is proper for us to make an appeal to people when we witness to them. And we're not going to strive with them. We will set the truth before them, but we will um, do everything that we can to place before them a cogent argument about who Christ is and then leave it with the Holy Ghost. These truths are set before us in the Bible in the context of men bear a responsibility to hear and to receive the things that the Lord would set before them. Given all the truths that are set before us, God forbid that any man should blame the Lord for their unbelief. And this, as I said before, this tension is set before us everywhere in the scriptures. This tension between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. 
And right here buried in the middle of this section is verse 44 of John chapter 6. It says, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And Lord willing, we are going to develop this uh, later. And so I would leave you with this remark and how you might apply that to this here in the context of what I've just shared with you. If a man can't do something, then he should ask for help from somebody who can. And that somebody is God, who has revealed himself, has revealed sufficient characteristics and attributes of himself that men should seek help from him and should say, as does a man seeking that his child be help, be saved, Lord, I believe, help mine unbelief. And ever to the Lord should we turn as we walk through this world and need his constant hand shepherding us through it, that we should ever seek his help because he has to shepherd us. He goes before us and he comes behind us. We know that he is the author and finisher of our faith, but he is just in holding men responsible for what they do with the witness and testimony that he sets before us all. And to that I will say, Amen. Amen.